You're listening to Finding My Own Weird, where we'll follow yours truly on a journey to discover my own authentic weird self. I'm your host, Christine Lassiter. Joining me will be amazing guests who found their own formula and are living and thriving as their own wonderfully weird selves. So hold on tight. It's about to get weird. Being an 80s gal, we were raised on movies about rebellion and risk. We had The Outsiders, Footloose, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Breakfast Club. I watched all the great 80s teen rebellion movies, and I was just in awe of the bravery it took to defy the rules of, you know, parents, school, society. But I was a good girl, and I was a little bit of a chicken. The most rebellious thing I can remember doing was going to the store for my parents and then stopping by my boyfriend's house on the way back. And I just knew I'd been gone too long, so I geared myself up in the car. And I just started crying so I could tell this lie about running over a raccoon and just being so devastated that I had to pull over and compose myself before I could drive home. It was such bullshit, but it worked. For someone who was very good at lying, I didn't use that skill very much. I didn't do the cool, rebellious stuff as a teen. And then I got married at 23. I had my first child at 24. 20 months later, my second child came along, and then four years later, I had my third. I was a single parent most of the time my kids were growing up. Not a lot of time to do wild and risky things. But now that my kids are all grown up, I feel like it's finally my time to start living a little bit. The problem is, after 49 years of living on the straight and narrow, I don't quite know how to begin. I've been using these journeys to give me some direction and permission to explore who I am and to grow and stretch from that. And it's working. I'm already changing through this process, and it's just amazing. It's never too late to reach inside and discover yourself. My next guest has stories right out of a John Hughes movie. Hitchhiking to concerts, mohawks in a small town, picking up and driving to a new city with no real plan just to start following his dreams. Welcome, Brad Richmond, a.k.a. Gargar. Hi, welcome back to Finding My Own Weird. I'm here with Brad, otherwise known as Gargar. I follow the Hawthorne Hideaway on Facebook, and I saw that you were performing there, and I saw that you were performing there with an alligator head on. Yep. And I thought, <laughs> hey, that looks like somebody I might want to reach out to. I actually looked up a couple of your videos and stuff and thought, well, this is really cool. <laughs> Thanks. So uh, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and you've actually said you've listened to a few of the episodes, so I, you know yes. this is about the journey Yes. to get to where you are now. So we're going to start the, at the beginning, and where'd you grow up? Oh, uh, well, I was born in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I, I, you know, for, this is all from what I've heard from my parents. I moved when, when we were two to Cleveland, Ohio, and then from there we moved out west to uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I started elementary school and all that stuff. So how long did you stay there? Uh, not too long either, uh, about four years. And, uh, but I, you know, like, uh, some of my earliest, uh, elementary school memories is like, I remember my first day, which looking back on is kind of funny was, uh, it was like Halloween celebrations where all the kids were dressed up in costumes. And of course it's my first day, so I didn't have a costume. And so we marched around through all the uh, classrooms and, uh, 
And so it was an interesting experience. <laughs> so maybe that missing out that first day, you were like, yeah, I will never maybe. be without again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, from there, where did you go? Uh, well, uh, from there, um, we moved to My dad got a job in North Carolina. So we moved out there like 1980, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we moved uh, a suburb of Greensboro, North Carolina. And I went to elementary school and middle school and a little bit of high school there. And uh, it was pretty like suburban uh, growing up, uh, you know, like it was the 80s. So like MTV and Muppet oh. Show was big and uh, horror movies. And Oh, I know it all. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're preaching my song there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, like 80s heavy metal, like mm-hmm. I got big into that. Uh, and then uh, like punk rock came along later. In which I was really attracted to uh, the, the more theatrical side of punk rock and not like the Nirvana grunginess right, right. type stuff. Uh, but uh, but I just fell in love with that and explored it and uh, started playing music because of it and uh, really dove into it. Were you playing music like back in high school? Yeah, like middle school. Oh, middle school. Yeah. You're, you were playing like uh, that heavy metal stuff? And... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like oh. I learned the whole Iron Maiden album front to back, uh, stuff like that. Were you playing an instrument? Or are you singing or uh, bass guitar? Bass guitar. First. Awesome. Yeah, I really uh, loved Motley Crue for some reason. Right. <laughs> and, uh, like I wanted to be Nikki Six, and well, of so course. I saw that he played bass. So I was like, "That's that's gonna be my instrument." When I was thirteen, I um I loved Bon Jovi. Yeah. I was watching MTV twenty four seven. Didn't care about anything else on TV, and uh, I ended up somebody gave me a bigger bigger than life. When I say, I mean it was bigger than Bon Jovi's Silk poster like this massive silk poster of bon jovi had him on my wall it's always like the big hair bands oh. you know i mean i listened to tiffany and all those too but oh no give me those big hair bands <laughs> yep. i was such a square little nerdy kid but i loved i loved the big hair bands no oh, me too <laughs> yeah like first concerts was like motley Crue and kiss and guns oh. and roses and mine was oak ridge boys that's not the same <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see Bon Jovi until God, about eight years ago. <laughs> I got some catching up to do, actually, on all that stuff. <laughs> so did you play uh, in like a little band with anybody else or was it just you just jamming in your room? No, I had a neighbor who uh, had a drum set and uh, was into like slower stuff, but I kept getting into like faster, like thrash metal, like Metallica and Slayer and, and then uh, into punk rock stuff eventually. And uh, it's, so uh, we would jam, but right. that's about it. But, did did your parents support all of that? Uh, they kind of did. Uh, they I think they thought it was going to be like a passing phase type thing, yeah. but it definitely wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like the first punk rock show, I saw uh, my sister. I got to go with her. I have an older sister by a couple of years, and uh, and she brought home like the first like Dead Kennedys tape, and like the first time I heard it, and and then uh, she went on spring break, and somehow I got to tag along as a little kid. And then there's this uh, band called Operation Ivy, which is a very influential ska punk band from the east bay in san francisco and uh and i saw them and like it's the first time i saw like a, a pit like slam dancing and stage diving and like it was eye-opening and how old uh, were you then probably like 16 oh yeah mm-hmm. and then uh and then uh, after the show like we had to hitchhike to get to the show and then we had nowhere to stay and then uh so we ended up like going back to the opening band like all the bands stayed there and so we stayed there with them and so that really happens. I mean, I've seen that on TV shows for many years where teenagers hitchhike to go see concerts. There's no, absolutely no way my mom would have killed me a thousand times over. But uh, so that happens. People actually hitchhike to go see shows. And yes, yes. I haven't, I've done it twice, actually. Uh, one time I was 
I like skipped school because I had to drive like three hours to go. The Ramones were playing in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, God, yeah. And so like I had to go see the Ramones. Sure. And, uh, and so I like uh, skipped school and I was driving and then this car ran a red light and hit my car and uh, totaled it. Oh, and uh, I was like, what? And I was like, I got my Ramones ticket out of the car and I just started walking down the highway. And, I hit you. and then like later that night at like two in the morning, I had to call my parents and be like, can you come get me? You didn't even tell Ota after the concert. You're like, I don't want to deal with this. Right. Uh, this is not my problem right now. My problem is getting to the Ramones. Right, right. Oh, Which God. was totally worth it and worth the grounding <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. So you said you went through part of high school there. Oh, yes. Um, what happened in the middle of high school? Uh, my dad just quit his job. And, mm. then, and then money started running out. And then uh, he uh, up in the mountains in uh, North Carolina. Uh, Make this short, I guess. You know, there's a, <laughs> hey, we got all, all almost all day. <laughs> <laughs> he became a salesman for like a, a timeshares for oh, condos yeah? up in the mountains in this like nice resort area, and uh, so we moved up there. And then my high school was a 45 minute drive every morning because it was in the middle of nowhere. Oh, that and, sucks. Yeah, and it was very rednecky, very religious, uh, and, and I wasn't any of that. Like I've never been to church in my life. So I grew up there, and then I was weird. I had like a mohawk and. Uh, and all the kids didn't like, I remember there was like a Japanese student there and like, and they, everybody picked on him. He tried to wear like American flag hat, American flag shirt, oh, like every day. Hard. And he always got beat up every day anyways. Oh. And, and so then they started coming after me and, uh. He was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm so Maybe. glad you're here. <laughs> Maybe. And, so, uh, so in the previous high school, they didn't, nobody thought anything about that. No, no. Everybody was like, was into the new punk rock. Thought it was like, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you move there and all of a sudden you're just freak weirdo <laughs> totally. yeah. that had to be a shock to your system oh uh, yeah it was it oh was. man but, uh, yeah and uh, like i'd get in fights and stuff and uh and i hated going to school my grade point average was terrible like i remember when i graduated i had a, a 0. 0.08 gpa and that wow. was, which was a d minus which is like the bare minimum to, i think they just wanted to get rid of me yeah they were just like we don't want him back he's caused too much trouble <laughs> right. look at him <laughs> right yeah, but yeah, the, we'd get like phone calls to the house, like uh, people telling my parents like what a freak I was and stuff, and like all this terrible stuff. And that's so that's so disheartening, you know, because you're just being yourself, right? Yeah. You know, um, but you know, coming from a school that's a little bit, all super lot conservative, <laughs> <laughs> you know, where boys were not allowed to have their bangs touching their eyebrows or their hair touching their collar it was no no. You definitely would not have been able to come with the with the mohawk. I mean, it wouldn't even have been a question. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah, sure. um, they would have immediately said, "Shave it off right now, or go home." Yeah. Um, so at least you got to wear it. I mean, that's actually I feel like that's a step up from where um, I grew up. <laughs> also, super you know religious uh, conservative place. So after you graduated, barely by the skin of your teeth, graduated <laughs> there. Uh, I mean, when you're going to school and stuff, did you or did you know what you wanted to be? I mean, were you always like, I want to be a performer? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I definitely wanted to be a musician. And also, uh, I should say, my, my dad, like way back when I was like 13 years old, like he saw like personal computing was going to be a thing. Oh, yeah. And so he sent me to like a community college when I was 13 to learn programming. Wow. And so, uh, yeah. So I was always like had like like to do that kind of stuff as well. And, uh, and but but I wanted to throw all that away and I wanted to just be a musician and and in high school, I did uh, start my first band. I found some older guys that were into it, and uh, and we started a, a band and got to play a couple shows and stuff. And and it was totally addictive. Oh, then you were like, yes, 
Yeah. This is always what I thought it was going to be. This is awesome. <laughs> right, right. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so after you graduated, did you did you still stay in that town for a little while? No, no. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would. Out? Yeah. I <laughs> oh, and also, like, a little funny story was, like, at the actual graduation, uh, you know, my relatives came down for it and from, like, Ohio and Wisconsin. And, uh, and they, like, some of them had, like, mohawk wigs on, like, to support me, which is really cool. But then when I got on stage to get my diploma, like the whole crowd like booed when they oh. called my name and I got up there. Uh. But at the time, like I kind of was like, what? Like I kind of well, like you know it. the whole rock. Well, that's the rock and roll. Yeah, that's the rock right. and roll life right there. Is you know right. like yeah, let the haters hate. You right, know right, right. that's gonna make me rock harder. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was definitely leaning into it. Oh yeah. man, that's that's hysterical. Um, but yeah, I had my the day I graduated, like, the day after I had my car packed uh, and I had nowhere. I just knew like a lot of my favorite bands came from Los Angeles. So I loaded up the car and I just drove there. Like I think I had like $400 or something. So you didn't know you didn't have a job. You didn't no. have a place to live. No. <laughs> You're just like, let's just hit the road. Right. Right. And uh, I lived in backseat. I had a big car. Like it was like a 69 Oldsmobile or something. And so I had a lot of room to stretch Don't out. Do you wish you had back. that now? Yes. yes. Totally. And I bought that car for $400. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so you slept in your car for a while? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like I would have the police waking me up, uh, just checking on me, I guess, and stuff. And, and I, I did, turned out not to like Los Angeles too much. I stayed there for not too long. And, and decided to go try San Francisco, mm-hmm. and, and, which I immediately fell in love with. And, right. Uh, Felt right at home. Uh, still living in my car. Right. But uh, So you lived in your car the whole time, even when you moved, you never actually had any housing? No. Okay. No. Like, I, I remember brushing my teeth and it'd be like a big toothpaste stain on the sidewalk <laughs> type thing. And, uh, and but people like in San Francisco was nice. Like, it was Easter, actually. And uh, it, in one morning, I woke up and there was a, like an old 1950s style vacuum cleaner and somebody painted it up like an Easter egg. And then I set it on top of my car, and I opened it. It was, like, chock full of candy. Oh. uh, Yeah, and at the time, like, I was starving, and I I ate that candy. This is the best city ever. (laughs) (laughs) And then then I got got quite a few jobs there and finally built up enough money to get an apartment. What kind of jobs did you start out there? uh, I was a security guard, like, in the (laughs) Tenderloin, which is, like, the worst. Yeah, that's uh, a, that's rough. Yeah, it was really rough. Just have the mohawk. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which I think it was like in dreadlocks, by the way. <laughs> in bright red. And, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I, I had a job at Taco Bell for a couple of weeks. Well, sure. <laughs> uh, just anything. Uh, right. And eventually, like uh, one of the, my favorite jobs there was a rehearsal studio called Planet X, mm-hmm. and uh, and any touring bands or any bands in San Francisco would rehearse there, and so I would set up the microphones and the PA. And, and uh, and that was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the Goo Dolls practice there, uh, like all those 90 bands. Did you get to actually meet them or anything? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you were in heaven. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. My favorite story from that is uh, the Four Non Blondes that rented a room there. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they, for some reason, they got rid of one of their, their, their guitar player. And so they had tryouts for a new guitar player. And then the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the office. The next thing I know, like the guitar player from Alice Cooper walks in and he's like this big, WWE wrestler looking guy. And, uh, and he's got like this guitar that's shaped like a machine gun. And I'm like, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, my manager flew me up. Said something about some band called Four Non Blondes I'm going to try out for. I was like, dude, just, that go, is... just go back to LA. Yeah. That, <laughs> you might not. You might, that might not be a good fit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but what an awesome story though. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It was fun. And then uh, it, from working there, there was a band called Scarehead. 
and uh, they got in a fight with their bass player and and like he threw his guitar pedal through the windshield of their Cadillac and uh, and and they were supposed to go to Europe soon after that and so I was like well I play bass and <laughs> so uh, so I joined up with them and uh, and so uh, like I was getting paid at work to rehearse with them as well which was great and when you don't have any money in right, your, right. in your twenties. Uh, and you want to be a rock star? You didn't. You it didn't get any better, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> and that band ended up doing really well. Like uh, we, on the local alternative radio station, they were playing us on regular. Uh, we're getting good shows. Uh, we're playing pretty large crowds. Uh, and uh, we played with Green Day one time, and kind of became friends with them. Wow! And they had just recorded uh, their Basket Case video, their mm-hmm. first one. And so they said they had a. Uh, I'm talking myself out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> You're just so excited. So excited about these stories. Well, they are very cool, though. <laughs> oh, well, uh, and so uh, they just got done filming that video. They had insurance. They had extra film. And uh, they, they said, why don't you guys like use the rest of our film, use our insurance for the studio and everything else that's involved in the cost because we didn't have any money. Right. And, uh, and we were like, sure. And so uh, so we recorded our own video and that got us like really far. Thanks to Green Day. Oh. And uh and, you know, we, we played with them in front of, like, 10 people were there. Uh, you said they were going to Europe. Did you go to Europe with them? Uh, with, with Scarehead, I did. Yeah. yeah. And then we met Green Day over there yeah. for a little bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we went over there. And then at the time, I got contracted in, so I was getting paid to be in that band, which was amazing. I didn't have to work and got to live in London for free. Uh, oh, my God, which is, that's a big deal because London is... Yeah. Super spendy. Oh, yes, yes. And plus, we lived in Knightsbridge, which is like the nicest neighborhood. Wow. There. Yeah. And uh, we really stood out there, too. <laughs> Cause, yeah, uh, I've been there once when I was 18. Okay. You know, yeah, it was, I mean, it's a very cool place, but yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, we lived right behind Harrods. Oh, yeah. If we went down to Soho, we'd fit right in. But, but in that neighborhood, we stood out. Yeah, you didn't go high, have high tea at Harrods? Oh, no. no. I, I've had high tea at Harrods. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very cool. It was on our school trip. That's, you know, it was scheduled in. <laughs> Sounds like a dream for you. So, yeah. I mean, you did all this you videos. You, you know, worked with Green Day. Um, I mean, that's an awesome trajectory from living in your car. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, everything was going great. How long did it take from living in your car to being in that band. Oh, that's probably about a 10-year span. Like, I moved there in 91 and then in like to 99, pretty much. To get into music, that's actually a small amount of time. Some people work way longer to, to yeah. get to that point. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and plus, like, just, uh, like, moving to San Francisco was amazing at the time because, like, in the night, like, all the music was coming together. Like, I loved the 80s stuff, but the 90s was more of a mix uh the the movies were crazy like david lynch and uh oh yeah and i learned about john waters and Ooh. just and it's just the whole culture of san francisco because it was cheap to live in at the time yeah, was, at that time yeah 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 it's not now <laughs> right. uh, full of artists you'd still uh, be living in your car now if you went and uh yeah and just like the local theater was like the yeah it, it was the culture there was awesome and uh so i opening it i just loved it yeah, I can't even imagine at that point. I didn't go and visit until probably about eight years ago, which there was a lot of gentrification and stuff by the time I went to go visit. But uh, I can't even imagine back in the 90s how how really awesome it would have been yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah, it was great. It was great to. So um, what made you leave San Francisco? Okay, from 
Okay, so uh, San Francisco, like the dot-com thing happened. Oh, yeah. Rents went through the roof. Uh, like my $800 one-bedroom apartment was suddenly $2,400, and there's a line around the block of people wanting to move in. And so uh, I just wanted to move somewhere cheaper. Uh-huh. And so uh, so uh, New Orleans always seemed interesting, and like we were always up for an adventure. So me and my buddy moved there and uh, just uh, packed up the car and drove out there, and uh, we had money this time for an apartment. Right. And uh, got a job at a, a live music venue. Uh, in the French Quarter, and uh, and really loved that city as well. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely another music city, entertainment, yeah. very, very interesting. You weren't there when the hurricanes came in, were you? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, for Katrina. Oh, my God. You were there? Well, I was living in uh, Monroe, Louisiana, yeah. time, which is uh, four hours north of New Orleans. So, like, th- that city was, like, 40,000, 50,000 people, and overnight was 300,000 people. So my city of Tyler, which is the big city outside of where I grew up, I say big city is 100,000 people, but it was between Louisiana there and Houston. And when those hurricanes hit, I worked in senior health care. We got, that's, that's where people came, is to our city. And we, in the nursing homes, we had them bust in from both hurricanes. Right. And, and we're, I mean, it took 24 hours from them to get, uh, from Houston to Tyler, which is normally six hours. I don't even know how long it took them to get from from Louisiana to over to us. I mean, it was just yeah. New Orleans and stuff. It, that city was not the same. No. I don't think it's still the same. I don't think it's quite built up no. from no. the devastation that hit it. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, so in Monroe, were you seeing like all the stadiums and the churches and everything like just Having people just piled in yes. and stuff. Yep, totally. It's like a war zone. Yeah, yeah. Crime went through the roof. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was devastating. Yeah, it was nutty. Yeah. yeah. How long did you stay there? Uh, in New Orleans for like uh, four or five years, I believe. Uh, I got married there. And she had a, a kid came along with the package, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how do you put that. But then, but then uh, we got married. Then, uh, then I had a kid with her and lived in New Orleans for a while. And then uh, like I realized like I need to do something, I have a child coming, I need to support. Uh, right. And so I decided to go back to college doing IT-related stuff. Like, so you came full circle from when you were 13. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Yeah, and I always kind of like was in, interested in that stuff anyways. But uh, but yeah, so I jumped into that and went to school and uh, and then ended up uh, later getting divorced. And then and my wife, my ex-wife now, was uh, from Monroe, Louisiana. So she moved back home with the kids. And so I was, wanted to be close to the kids. So. I moved up there and then uh, stayed up there for in, for 14 years, I think. Mm. And, uh, and so I was very rural. Uh, it, Monroe's known as like Duck Dynasty people. Yes. Uh, very religious. Oh, yes. Not much going on at all. You, you would not have worn a mohawk there either very successfully. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it is its own beast, isn't it? It's its own little, yeah, yeah closed in little area. Right, it is. Um, I mean, how, having that rock and roll soul in you, how did you how did you feel doing that? How did you feel living there in, in such a place where you bolted out of the last one as fast as you could? But, you know, you're having a child and everything else. You, I mean, I'm assuming you stayed there because you want to be close to your child. Right. I mean, how did that feel internally? I mean, were you just like just itching to? Yeah, I was in total <laughs> shock. Like, I didn't know anybody in that town. Yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do. At least I had a, a, a college degree now, so I get some work. And, and the kids ended up moving in with me for most of those 14 years. 
and uh and so like i just it was kind of a place where you have to make your own fun uh like it, this was before vinyl records came back but i opened a record store there which was the stupidest thing in the world so, here. so it was before but, they were popular and you're like right. you know what i think we need here in this little duck dynasty little world <laughs> right these people need records. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and so, and, but that was like a really good idea. And also I got a job working IT at City Hall. Right. So I was uh, doing that type of stuff. But then the record store, and I had a, a room in the back that me and the kids lived in, and uh, showers and stuff like that. And we put on like, we'd have bands play in the store at like after hours and uh, and kind of like built a little community of weirdos inside oh, yeah. of the room. Right. And, uh, we, That's what I'm doing. I'm collecting weirdos right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we started this thing called the After Nine Show where people could do whatever they wanted to. And so uh, people would make little plays and little theatrical performances or just play acoustic guitar. or, or and, like, uh, and we built like this kind of core of like musicians and artists. And, and, uh, and that made the time pass by pretty well. Yeah. Pretty good. Like, well, at least, easier, at least anyway. you found a little community there of like-minded people. It, it could have been way worse if you hadn't. Right. So probably the music store is probably, a, or the record store is probably a, a good idea. Yeah. So you could keep some sanity. Right. <laughs> yeah, it made no money. But, <laughs> but yeah, it kept my sanity. Yeah, for sure. that's a good trade-off, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, that little core of people that would, would come every Thursday night, uh, like a lot of them went on to do great stuff. Like one of them uh, produces a podcast, many podcasts in Los Angeles now. Throwing Shade is one of the more popular ones he's a producer for. And then one guy went off the Vassar. Um, he became a, I think he's a teacher, professor of acting now at Vassar. Uh, like a lot of, a lot of weird stuff came out of that, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and and also from like the fanzine culture of the '90s, uh, from the record store, I had got kids to write reviews of new records coming out. We started our own little magazine, which we printed and gave to everybody who came in the store. And uh, and like one of the guys now is like a heavy heavy metal magazine writer that came out of that, and uh, and uh, it's just kind of neat who knew yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes oh that's incredible so so when you saw your opportunity to leave Monroe <laughs> right. yeah my both kids went off to college and uh and we had no reason uh, my wife is always li- my I I should have said that before I got remarried again mm-hmm. in Monroe uh they, which felt Were they like, both Louisiana gals yes <laughs> so you marry two Louisiana gals <laughs> right but it felt like a miracle even to meet my current wife, Lisa. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> in that little town, I just figured there was nobody. You know, I was just going to be alone forever. Right. Right. So, uh, so that was kind of a miracle that happened. And, and I met her through the record store as well. She used to show up for the shows on Thursday night. And, and, uh, but, uh, yeah. So the kids go off to college. There's no reason for me and Leslie to stay in Monroe uh-huh. anymore. So, uh, like on Leslie's birthday, and Leslie lived there her whole life. Like she'd never moved away. So, oh, yeah. So then we got to move to Portland. Like, uh, was she was she ready to to get out of there? She thought she was, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's we're a, still going through the process. Yeah, Monroe to Portland's a big yes. You know, there's personalities like yours and mine, which is like, oh, give me, give me, give me, I can't wait. Right. You know, but then there's other people who are like, what the? <laughs> right, right. And the other side to that is she's a therapist as well. Oh yeah. And so she like it, it like it was like religious things, like totally different issues she's dealing with here in Portland with people than. Back in Monroe. Oh, in absolutely. The, I'm right. no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A whole different world. Yeah. She's, so she's found that eye opening. And, uh, but, but we used to come out here to Portland, uh, cause in back in Monroe, also, I guess I should reverse. Uh, th- that's where I started the Gargar Act. Uh, 
like I tried playing music with, I found some people to play music with, but it was, wasn't really working out. And, uh, and so I like, I started wanting to learn how to play drums too. So I played drums, like I recorded my own music and then I played drums along to it to learn how to, to do that. And then I really enjoyed doing that. And I wrote like 20 different songs and I recorded them all in my backyard. And like, I only had like a couple of microphones to do that with. <laughs> and, uh, and then, so I wanted, I was toying with the idea of doing like a live show mm-hmm. and, uh, and so I needed band members. And so like, I, uh, just from like going around town and dumpstering items, I found like a gumball machine and a mannequin. And, uh, and then for, I got this skeleton from a Halloween store to be the drummer. Right. And so, and then I made up this whole thing, this whole band. And, uh, and I used to, where like, you played everything. Right. But you, you had to create the right. members. Right. Correct. And, and then I wanted to try to do a live show, which seemed really stupid and absurd, <laughs> but and it is still to this day. So I made like, Instead of amps, I made, I printed out this huge banner of like Marshall amps that I put behind the stage as a backdrop. And then, uh, and I dressed up the characters and, you know, like bolted a bass guitar onto the gumball machine. And, and I, and I did it like a live show where I had like in between songs, there would be like cheering and laughter in the crowd, like right. I would play. <laughs> and then I interact with the character, with the band members as well, like, uh, and like created this whole show. And like, and I, the first time I did it, like, it was a pretty big, like for Monroe, it was a pretty big show. Like 50 people were there. Woo. And uh, yeah, and I was, I was really nervous about it, but uh, but everybody loved it. Like, uh, I was like, okay. Now, were you wearing the alligator yes. head then? Right. So what made you decide to do that? Uh, because, I mean, you're in, you're in Louisiana. I mean. Right. And I'm working at City Hall as well. And so like, because I would be on stage one night screaming about how Monroe's terrible. <laughs> and then the next morning I'd be at a, you know, meeting with Town the mayor meetings. and the police chief and the fire chief. And, and so, like, I had to, like, not let, I kept it very close to, like, who knew who Gargar was. Right. And I kept it pretty much anonymous. Like, after a show, I would, like, get off stage and change into, like, a wig and, like, become a Gargar roadie and, like, change all my clothes and uh, and wear a hat and go out and then take all the stuff off the stage. And, and uh, yeah, I think I kept it for years, just, like, maybe four or five people knew that I was actually Gargar. And, and they were all really good friends, and they kept it quiet, too. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it goes into that whole, you, you mentioned earlier that you like the theatrics hmm. of some of those bands uh, as much as the music. I mean, and this definitely plays into the music and the theatrics that go with that. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, smoke, smoke machines and oh. witch hats and just the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but one time I was at a, a store and uh, I think, uh, oh, a Gargar sticker, I think fell out of my pocket or something. And I remember the, the lady behind me was like, Oh, do you, that guard, I've heard of that person. Like, uh, that, nobody knows who that is. Right. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And, and she was like, uh, she was like, where'd you get the sticker? He goes, Oh, well, actually one time I met him, I made up the story about like how he took off his mask and half of his jaw was missing. <laughs> and like, and that rumor got spread all over town. Like, uh, so it was, it was like really a fun. Phantom to... of the Opera sort of situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was like really just, there's nothing to do there. I mean, so definitely wouldn't have thought it was you, right? Because right. it's like, I have my whole chin is here. No, no jaw missing. Couldn't be me. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and so like, I kept pushing the Gargar thing just to see how far I could take it. Oh, yeah. Uh, then the city had this Northeast Louisiana. Louisiana music award show like they started doing it and this lady I worked with who had no idea as Gargar asked email Gargar and said hey can you be a music award presenter for like the show and I was like sure <laughs> it, was in, it was in the civic center you know like a lot of people uh, right and then I'm backstage with the mask on and in the tuxedo and everything I wear and uh and then I'm about to like present this award but they presented one for like the 
the longest because like re, like this 89 year old singer who was like really famous and then from monroe and like they flew back from los angeles to be part of this award show right and there was like crying and tears and like all this big <laughs> emotional moment now i'm on the side of the stage about, about to walk on like oh my god i can't believe <laughs> <laughs> they asked for you Right, just get, right. They asked for it, so yeah, that's yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so I went up and did my thing, and I think there's still a picture of Gargar inside the like in their lobby of all like Bon Jovi's up there and Motley Crue, and I think there's a picture of and Gargar. Gargar. As well. Yeah, you're in good company. Look at that. <laughs> I know. Hopefully, it's still there. Um. So did did the people at the courthouse or anything? Did they ever find out? Uh, no, no, nobody ever did. <laughs> just send them this and go. Ha! <laughs> Tag them all in it and go, there you go. <laughs> Who knew? And now a word from our sponsor, me. So you finally decided to stop working for the man and build your own empire. You have everything in place. You've done your research and now you've created a thriving business that you own. You are golden and you're ready to buy a home. So then I sit down and I ask you about your annual income. You tell me what you made last year but that number didn't include your deductions you claimed on your taxes. So it's not the amount you thought you'd be able to use. It's considerably lower. And the year before that, it was lower still because you're still recovering from COVID. If the lender happens to require us to look back two years, we have to average those two. So let's say you get over that hurdle and you realize that the lender wants proof that your business is still going. The lender needs a copy of your business license. But you've let your business license lapse because who even cares about that? Or maybe you never even had one at all. They also need to see a listing on 411 or the Yellow Pages or even a website with your contact info so they can call the number listed and reach your business. But it's 2023. Who does the Yellow Pages anymore? And you're more of a Facebook or Instagram web presence than a website one. These things have to be addressed. A mortgage lender has to be sure that your business, this empire that you've created, is not only healthy today, but healthy moving forward. They have to ensure that you're going to be able to continue to pay your mortgage for years to come. They are investing in you, but you have to have proof. That's why getting pre-approved is so important. There are things that need to be calculated, evaluated, and confirmed in order for a lender to be comfortable lending you hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you're self-employed and you're going to be looking at buying a home, make sure your business license is active, register your business on the Yellow Pages site, and have a professional, you know, me, take a look at your situation so you know how much buying power you have. To talk to me about getting pre-approved for a mortgage in Oregon and Washington, email me at Christine at two rivers mtg.com. That's C H R I S T I N E at T W O R I V E R S M T G.com. NMLS 2248608. Now get back to that empire and we'll get back to our show. You, you said you'd come up to Portland a couple of times. Yes. Was that to perform? Uh, yeah, a couple of times. And, uh, and also, like uh, a lot of our friends, we were. Some of our friends uh, moved to Portland. A lot of my friends from San Francisco moved up to Portland eventually. And so we had a good friend base here. So we'd come and visit like once every couple of years. Okay. So you had at least been here. Right. Oh, yes. Yes. Because some of our guests have not been here before they decided to pack up and move. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So so, so pretty much moving to Portland, I felt like I was 18 again and moving to Los Angeles. Like uh, I was very excited. And uh, like I remember... uh, Waking up here in Portland, oh, I got a job working downtown and 
and that where I could ride my bike to, which mm-hmm. was amazing. And I remember just like having to like hold back tears from like riding my bike to that job. I was so happy to be free again. And uh, I could cry right now. Just <laughs> How long ago have you been here? How long uh, did you move? Four years. We moved here right before the pandemic. So like the first six months for amazing and awesome. And then then damn it. <laughs> yeah. And then we're paying $2,500 a month rent for a city that doesn't exist. Right. Like, yeah, right. It's kind of rough. Yeah. I was here for, I moved here in 2017. So not too long. Enough time for me to get a taste yeah. of like all the cool stuff I could do <laughs> and really start getting my momentum into like go into everything. And then the whole world shut down. And it was like, yeah. you've got to be kidding me. I couldn't, I didn't have anything to do when I was back in Texas. There was nothing to do. I get here, there's all these things to do, and I'm so excited, and I'm doing everything, and then nothing. Yeah. And it's just now where I'm like, okay, now i got to start doing everything again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it, I've started doing everything, like, probably too much. Like, right. uh, like I found bands I can play in out here with actual human beings. And uh, <laughs> so, so I'm in, I was, like, in five different bands at one point, like, right after the pandemic, and then doing the Gargar stuff. And so, uh, but, but that's been great. Like, I love it. Right. So, I mean, so are you still in all these different bands? Uh, four bands. Now. You're in four <laughs> bands and Gargar. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a lot on your plate and working full time. Right. So does your wife ever see you? Uh, not lately. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but we saw a lot of each other during the pandemic. Yeah, you're like, it's enough. She's like, it's enough. It's just right. like, it's fine. You just go do what you got to do. Yes. Yeah. My partner and I, we both work from home. It's a lot, you know. And we did that during the pandemic, too. And now we still do it. You know, anytime I can get out of the house, I'm like, let's go. I got to go. Got to go. You can go or stay, but I got to go. So she she's a therapist up here now. Yes. Yes. And 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 adjusting. Right. As well as she can. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Like like her biggest thing is like she's afraid to drive anywhere. Like because she's afraid she'll get on I-5 accidentally. And like, oh, if you do, you just. Yeah. I mean, if you navy, I still navy places. I know where a lot, most places are, but just put on your navy. Yeah. It'll reroute you. There's exits that'll get you back where you're supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, just like parallel parking is pretty daunting for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, if she listens to this, nobody in Portland knows how to parallel park. Do not feel bad about that. Nobody does. I used to work in, in insurance and I had a, my office was at, had a big uh, plate glass window looking onto the street. I sat right in front of it. And I used to want to do parking Olympics where when somebody parked, parallel parked in front of my office, I would go, I wanted to go put numbers like, that was a three, <laughs> that was a seven, you know. And if they parked really well, I wanted to put my business card and go, I want to insure you because you're good. No. Um, yeah, nobody knows how to parallel park here. No. I, have, I have a backup camera and that's a godsend because I wouldn't be able to parallel park without that. So. She's in good company. Nobody knows how to do that. (laughs) Cool. So in addition to four bands and Gargar, um, you have, you've created a TV studio in your basement? Uh, Yeah, just recently. Because you didn't have enough to do? Right. Yeah, I'd already uh, like kind of built a bar down there and then I have a huge record collection. uh, Obviously. Yeah. So it looks like a record store as well. And then. We rehearse down there too, uh-huh. uh, so there's drum sets and amps set up, and so it looks like a thing already. And right. So, and so I decided, like I always thought about doing like a Gargard like talk show, and so I we bought studio equipment and kind of set up the basement for that now, and uh, and it's been going really well. Like our first episode's going to come out on April 10th, and uh, 
it basically uh it's like little skits comedy skits just a uh, very silly absurd type stuff uh i'm interviewing local portland bands and uh and advertising them sure playing their music and uh and so far so good uh We'll see how it goes. Is it just bands that you interview, or uh, no? Uh, I don't know if I should say it or not. There, uh, there, no, it's not. Uh, we're, <laughs> like other, like there are surprises. Is that what you want to say? There's a lot of bigger than life <laughs> characters here in Portland, as you know. I, I do know. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not trying to squeeze in on your thing, but but hey, but this most is most of my friends. There's, there's room for all of us yes, out yeah. here. <laughs> all of us. You'll just have to have me on sometime. That's you know. <laughs> right. So we're going to have some like skits based around their personalities. And, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So where will people be able to watch that? Uh, it's go- on YouTube. It will be the full episodes, but then it'll be sliced up for uh, Instagram and Facebook. Social and, media stuff. Right, right. No, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah, we're, it's pretty exciting. Oh, that's awesome. So how many have you recorded so far? Uh, well, I've recorded a lot, but I haven't put together. I'm trying to like piece them all together, so. Uh, but I have enough for editing. Probably like three episodes now. Editing, it's, right. a, it's a beast. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you have a computer job. It's the last thing you want to do <laughs> after work. Well, yeah, but you probably know more than um, the average bear when it comes to that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I had to learn on the fly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Man, well, plus doing all your band stuff, you probably have way more experience in that stuff. Mm. Um, well, I think that is that's super cool. What do you hope for that? For oh. The, uh, that, I just enjoy doing it. I feel like I have to do it. For some, like, uh, I understand that. I, I don't think Gargar is going to make any money or do any, like, uh, but I feel more passionate about doing stuff like that than, than anything else. So, right. Uh, just that super creative, different from everything else kind of. Right. I, I, I mean, to me, that's fascinating. I think that that is, I mean, I will definitely, that's something I would watch. Okay. One hundred percent. I much rather watch that than anything that's on actual TV. <laughs> well, that stuff's unbearable. Right. Well, that's got to be super fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so are you? You're going to continue with doing Gargar? Yeah, I just got done doing like a West Coast little tour. I went down to San Diego and back, doing a various little dive bars and stuff, and. Where you're like, well, that's where I slept in my car, and that's where I slept in my car. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, so I'd probably do stuff like that, maybe perform in Portland like four times a year-ish, uh, oh, which I do have a show coming up at the uh, world-famous Kenton Club with uh, a band called Rad Max, which is like a, a tribute to the 80s in general type. Yeah. Like, they sing songs about VHS tapes. And, oh, there are a lot of fun. So it's it's original music about the eighties. Yes. Oh, well, that's hysterical. Mm-hmm. So they're not like they're not like playing eighties music. They are playing about eighties. Well, but time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very eighties influenced music. Well, that's it fun. It's about the eighties. Yeah, that's super yeah. funky. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's so cool. Uh, what are the other bands that you're in? Uh, there's a, uh, a kind of alt country band. Uh, in the, of course, there is. And the, and the name's <laughs> terrible, but it's a, the band's called Baby Graves. In the, uh-huh. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it's like really, it's surprisingly, it's very lighthearted and funny. Like people, like my wife likes that band. Like right. That. It's it, the context, content of the lyrics are, is very funny and like a uh, kind of tongue in cheek. And right. Like uh, we played the Alberta Street Fair uh, oh, and fun. we didn't know how that was going to go over with, with babies around and children and right. families. But it went over really good. Like once people like understood what we were doing, people seemed to love it. And, uh, and and then I'm in another band called The Last Responders, which is uh, like 80s hardcore punk rock type stuff. Uh, 
motorheadish kind of. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other band I'm in is called Uvula, and it's like 80s punk rock type stuff as well. You know, it's <laughs> those are also kind of different. From, I mean, like, it's, is it hard to transition from one to the other? I mean, you have to like <laughs> kind of gear yourself up to to play in when you're in one. Right. And then I'm playing different instruments in the bands as well. So like, like last night, what's that last night? No, it was Thursday night. <laughs> Thursday night we played at Dante's and I was like, wait, do I bring drums or guitar? <laughs> I was like, oh wait, I just bring guitar. them both. <laughs> Figure it out when you get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love it. Like, uh, I don't like to watch TV too much. And, like Uh-oh. I got nothing. I playing music and hanging out with friends is awesome. Is your wife super supportive of all this stuff? She is. Yes. Yeah, and she she's actually doing the cameras and some of the production work for the TV show. Oh, as well. awesome! Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's great. Yeah. I could never imagine Rob up here trying to handle any of this. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even get him to listen. Rob, if you ever do listen, yes, I'm talking about you right now. What else do you have coming up? Um, we have a lot of shows lined up through the summer. Uh, like the last responders were flying to Georgia. We have a, a run of shows on the East Coast uh, in July. Uh, just just a lot of a lot of live shows around town. Well, um, one of the things we're definitely going to do is we're going to have links to everything that you have going on, so people can follow your tour dates. They can follow your TV show. What is the show called? Uh, the Gargar Show. The Gargar Show. <laughs> I would have never guessed that. I don't know. <laughs> Not so creative. I think you know. But once but you it, see it, it makes sense. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you're wearing the. The gargar mask when you do that? Yes. yes. No, that's, I I think that that's super awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think that we have to keep, I think we have to keep promoting the weird. Mm. I'm actually meeting with the Weird Portland United on Tuesday. Are you a member of that? No, I've heard of it, but I haven't looked into Uh, it. We might have to talk about that. Okay. (laughs) Because it's, I mean, it's an organization about really supporting Weird Portland in the most positive ways. And it's a non-for-profit that's, that's doing that in a, a lot of creative ways. And I think that we have to keep doing that because one of the things I've learned from all these interviews is how much joy and positivity that the weird brings to the city. I saw it when I was out on the street with the Portland Slee Stack and people saw him all in his whole getup. And I mean, they were just giddy excited. Nice. And even people who didn't know what a sleaze stack was. I mean, you know, I'm 49 years old. I obviously know what a sleaze stack. I used to watch Land of the Lost back in the day. Um, but just the whole seeing the character. And I've had the Unipiper on and the I had Poison Waters and stuff. These people, they are, they're bringing so much positivity. And I think we have to keep these avenues, these creative avenues going and, and showcasing that. Because um, I think it's so important for our city. Oh, I agree. Yeah, there was, it, the last few years have been really, really rough and hard. And if the weird part dies down, I think that that makes the city darker. Sure. Yeah. So I'm in full support of showcasing all the weird all the time mm-hmm. and just creating new avenues to make people aware of it and, and experience it in different ways. Awesome. Yeah, so that's so cool what you're doing. I think I'm totally looking forward to that. (laughs) Well, this has been super cool. I think that this has got people, if you haven't seen, like I said, I went and saw some of your videos after I saw you on social media, went and looked at some of your videos and stuff. Super fun, you know, and uh, it would be cool to, you said baby graves? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
you know, I had a friend who used to be in a band called Necrogasm. Um, so, you know, and and there was nothing about that in any other song. So you can just get over names. Yeah, if you uh, people want to go to gargarband.com, it'll get you to anywhere you want to see any Gargar related stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, we're going to have everything up there and yeah, I'm looking forward to your content. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, very you. cool. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. The stories Gargar told seem right out of a movie. He didn't let small communities, backwards thinking, or booze discourage his journey to find his true authentic self. Thank you so much to Gargar. To follow him, his music, and his new show, The Gargar Show, follow the links below. Special thanks to Christine Lassiter with Two Rivers Mortgage. To talk to her about a mortgage in Oregon or Washington, you know where the links are. And be sure to like, subscribe, and share, share, share this podcast so others can find out how I'm finding my own weird. <laughs>